0: Hallelujah. Father, we commit our hearts to you as we look into your word. I pray that you will speak to every heart. Holy Spirit, bring life to every heart as they receive the word. Bring us revelation. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And we've been talking about abounding in the work of the Lord. And uh, the word abound in the dictionary means to exist in large numbers or amounts. In the Greek, it means to be in excess. It means to excel. It means to be better. It means to have enough and to spare. It means to exceed. It means to increase. It means to have have abundance. And this is not just talking about abundance of money or material. things. talking about abundance of good works. You know, remember that the Bible says that we have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light to show forth his praise and the bible also says that we have been called unto good works you know and so um, first corinthians chapter 15 verse 58 which we have been looking at the bible says that uh, therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the lord and uh, you know the thing with the scriptures is that every time we read the scriptures we come up with some more understanding and more revelation. You know, uh, we've been reading this particular <laughs> verse for some, a few sessions now, uh, but then and the Lord began to bring another dimension to this particular uh, scripture. you know. Now, when Paul was writing to the Corinthian Christians, first of all, he addressed them as brethren, and he said for them to be steadfast to be immovable, to always abound in the work of the Lord. But then there is something else that he added here that I want to highlight before we go to the verses that God ministered to my heart this morning. He says knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. As a matter of fact, the motivating factor (laughs) Behind abounding in the work of the Lord is knowing that their labor is not in vain. <laughs> you know, you see. In, the, in the last week we were having some Bible studies uh, from the book of uh, James. I, I just want to take out a verse. You may not need to turn to it, but uh, this this is a scripture I want to to bring out. Um, in the book of James, chapter 1, you may turn to it, but it's not on the screen. You know, James chapter 1, we were having this Bible study, and we are going to continue with it just not this Wednesday, uh, two Wednesdays from now. We will continue with the studies. When James was writing to the brethren in James chapter 1, verse 2, he said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, when you make a statement like this, it's not enough to get somebody jumping up and wanting to do things like that and say, "Oh, count it joy." Okay, count it joy like that. It's not that easy. It's not that easy, you know. And so he begins to dangle the end product. Hallelujah. Amen before the brethren. Hallelujah. Because if you are telling me to count this all joy, what's in it there for me? Unless there is something at the end of it. Hallelujah. So he says, verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So somebody wants to develop patience. And thing with patience is one, one of the greatest uh, you know, characteristics that you can have as a Christian. One of the greatest virtues as a matter of fact. Because it transcends all walks of life. You need patience in your marriage. You need patience in your place of work. You need patience in dealing with your friends. You need patience in dealing with your children. You need patience in dealing with your husband. You need patience in dealing with your wife. You need patience with, in dealing with everybody. But then One of the ways that we get to develop this wonderful virtue called patience is it comes from knowing that the testing of your faith, it produces patience. So for me to count what I face, the trials that I face, to count them as joy and bless God in spite of the trials, it means that I need to know that there is something at the end of it. Amen? You know, I'm sure you might be wearing masks, but I'm sure we are not forbidden from saying amen. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. You know, oh my God. You, you see, because nobody wants to work for nothing. The reason why you wake up in the cold, and we've had cold and winter, and for the past one week, minus one degrees, minus seven degrees at some point in the night. You cover the, you've got your heating, oh, I'm sure our bills have gone up, our heating bills have gone up. Especially the past seven days, but you know somehow because it's locked down, know. So some are saying, "Oh, but thank God I don't have to wake up to go to work," you know. But then, supposing there was no lockdown, people would wake up. You would wake up it in spite of the snow, in spite of the cold, and you know dress up and get wear layers upon layers and layers like an astronaut, <laughs> and then head to the train station. Or even you get in your car, you notice that even you get in your car, it takes you some 15 minutes to driving to, to the car to get warm and things like that and so on. And you still go to work. Why? Because you know that at the end of the month, there is that paycheck coming through the post. Or maybe money is being remitted to your account as something called salary. Amen? That is the reason why you are going through the cold. There is something at the end. And the Bible says of Jesus, because of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus was seeing something great beyond the cross. So, if you want patience, there is how to develop patience. Patience is not something you just pray for. We cannot lay hands on you and say, receive patience in Jesus' name. It doesn't work. Patience is something that you have to develop. As a result of what you pass through the issues, you pass through issues of life that you deal with and handle, you come through, and that is how you develop patience. It's not something you pray for. Somebody once prayed, oh, Lord God, please give me patience, but hurry. Already he's demonstrating lack of patience. When you're asking the Lord to hurry, already you are demonstrating impatience, you know? So it doesn't work like that through prayer. It doesn't work by the laying on of hands. It doesn't work by somebody prophesying over you. No. You develop patience as a result of what you go through in life and how you handle those issues and your attitude towards those issues. You develop patience. But what I wanted to bring out from here is what when uh, Brother James says that uh, count it all joy when you face or you fall into various trials. And he didn't stop there. He said knowing. So that means there is something at the end of it. Now, um, that's where we're going to go. But let's go back to where, where I was talking You know, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 58. So when Paul said, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, he says, knowing. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. This is the motivating factor here. Knowing that your labor is not in vain. So the thing that Paul is dangling at the end, of this abounding in God's work. I know he's got abounding in God's work over here, and then he's got the fact that your labor is not in vain on this other side. And so, you know that you have to cross this path, and oh my goodness, I know that you know there's a reward over here, and I need to overcome, I need to go through and get this at the end. I know there's something waiting for me. So, Abounding in God's work is not in vain. There is great reward at the end. That's what Paul is trying to say to us. So he says to us, my beloved brethren, we are to abound in God's work. Now, there's something else God was missing to me, which uh, I want us to go to. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Now, before we read the scripture... Remember, the, the, the topic is abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, the, there's the tendency for us to diminish our service or our commitment to God when we face certain issues. You know, I mean, it's, it's common with human beings. It's common with human beings. When situations change, we seem to change with the situation, unfortunately, negatively. When things are good, we seem to get all good, and and so on and so forth. And when things are difficult, we tend to be difficult, but we shouldn't be. Now, we are in a time that things are tough, especially with the lockdown and the corona situation worldwide. And there is the tendency, I was saying in the morning service, you know, to think that God does not love you. Because God has mentioned these things to me in the morning. So that's why I'm, I'm deviating a little bit. You know, because one of the things we question the most when we face issues is God's love. You know? And the same thing, we, 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 and we transfer the same attitude to human beings. You know, the moment somebody says something or does something, we question the person's love for us. The moment we face trials and difficulties, we begin to ask ourselves the question, God, where are you? Do you really care? Do you really love and I was saying in the morning, I will say it again. One of the greatest convictions you can ever have is the fact that God loves you all the time. Hallelujah. All the time. And if we begin to define God's love in terms of circumstances, we miss it. I was... T- telling them the money service. This is corona situation, right? Next month, well, actually, in China, it's already, you know, it's 2019, so it's two years, I think. Was it? One year already in China now. They're in the second year of corona. So most in UK here, started around maybe January, February. By March, we were in lockdown. So this is February. We're about one, one is it one year? One year now. Okay, one year. Now, I think from the statistics, I think over just over a million people have died, right, worldwide. Uh, I hope I'm right. Over a million people or so have died worldwide. Over a million, but certainly not five million. Certainly not ten million. But you know something? In 1918 to 1920, there was what was the Spanish flu, and the Spanish flu. Just within those two years, 1918 to 1920, killed over 50 million people worldwide. 50 million. More than I mean, that's over how many times what the corona has killed? 50 million. In fact, people put it that is. In fact, it's more than that. They put it between 50 and 100 million. People died. So people wondering. That scripture that says God so loved the world that he gave his only son, uh, where was that scripture? (laughs) Does God really love people again or he's forgotten and turned his back on people? Then we come closer to home and we look at the Jewish people, God's own people. God chose them in the Old Testament to use them to demonstrate his relationship with people here on the earth. And later on, he would transfer that to us as the church, the body of Christ. Even though till today, God has not yet finished dealing with the Jews. He's still, the Jews are still God's people. And that's why all these people making noise that they will wipe Israel out. That is never going to happen. No nation, even if the whole world turns up against Israel, that's not going to work. No person is going to succeed. They will only attract God's swift judgment. and They've tried that even in the Old Testament. Nations gathered and came up against Israel. Many of them, thousands, hundreds of thousands, they came. And it didn't work. Because God has a plan and a purpose for Israel. And you see, it's the same thing, brethren, that in spite of what we face as Christians, no matter what the devil tries, no matter what the demons, no matter what the agents of the devil try, They cannot just destroy the church. They cannot destroy the church. And Israel, God's people from the physical point of view, no nation was able to destroy them. The the worst was that they got scattered, but they got gathered again. And they are just a few million people. All this noise that Iran is making, they can't, they can't, they can't. They say that they want to push Israel into the sea and wipe them out. That's not going to happen. Now, Israel, God's people. But I want you to notice this. During the time of Hitler, over 6 million Jews were killed. Were they God's people or not? Have they ceased to be God's people? 6 million people. And you know, it's not like there were hundreds of millions. No, no, no. If supposing there were maybe population of China, population of India, you know, you might say, well, okay, I mean, uh, you know, six million people—that's not. But they—they've never really been a large, you know, number of people. But six million was a quite, you know, compared to their population. They were killed. And yet, God still had and still has a plan for them. Why am I saying all these things? If you begin to define God's love in terms of issues and problems, you miss it. You will miss it. Now, Paul, writing to the uh, Romans brethren, he said to them, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. The, the issue is this. Quite often, if we are not careful, we begin to, to disconnect from God when we face issues. First of all, the devil puts it in our mind that God doesn't love us anymore. And then, consequently, we disconnect and disengage from God. Because it is not God that forsakes us. It is we that forsake God. Because he says that he only forsakes us when we forsake him. So he doesn't take the initiative to forsake us. His love is always for us. Now Paul says, and Paul was writing from experience. Somebody who was conversant with tribulation, with persecution, with imprisonment with beating, with all manner of things. So he was writing, and he had come to the place where he knew that in spite of all those things, God's love was not separated from him, or he wasn't separated from God's love. I said earlier on, one of the greatest convictions you can ever have is the fact that God loves you. Now, don't use your circumstances around, you know, to define that. Just know that God loves you. The Bible says he loved us even while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Hallelujah. Why is it important, I was saying in the first service, why is it important for you to be convinced that God loves you? Because everything that God does for you, is from the foundation of his love for you. <laughs> All right? Everything that God does for you is based on his love for you. God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son. So he gave his son because of love. He didn't love because he gave. He gave because he loved. So love preceded the giving. He gave because he loved. And he gave Jesus to the world when the world hadn't even known about Jesus, not to talk of recognizing him. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was love that motivated God to give Jesus. And the same Romans chapter 8 goes somewhere on to to talk about the fact that if God did not withhold Jesus from us. Hallelujah. He gave him up for us. How much more will he give him other things that come with Jesus? So there are things that come with Jesus. And the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added. God knew that the first thing was to give Jesus, and with Jesus, you have everything. So you need to be convinced that God loves you, because love is the premise from which God does things for you. It is the basis. God does things for you from the premise of his love for you. That's why you need to be convinced. And Paul knew that. That's why he's writing this stuff here. And you need to be convinced of that because you can't say these kind of things unless you got something deep down here in the heart. What? Who shall separate us? Who? 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 Is it tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peri- sometimes all these things we are so worried about, even nakedness. Close. Yes, there we go. Somebody, ah, we didn't see you in church. I didn't... Have something to wear to church. It's not that the person didn't have clothes. This person didn't just have whatever they wanted to wear to church. Uh, we would not see it. Oh, I, I, I couldn't iron my clothes to come to church. Come to, wear them like that, wrinkles. Who is going to send you out? Come to church. Who is going to be looking at your You didn't iron your clothes. Come to church. That's even serious. If, you, if that's enough to keep you away from church, that is seriously serious. That's my own English. Ooh, now, the New Living Translation says, uh, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Please, brethren, you know, I got this message in the bathroom this morning. So this is a bit of a deviation, but it's still connected to abounding in God's work. Because you cannot abound in God's love unless you know that somebody loves you, God loves you, and there is something at the end of it. If God is going to reward you, it's still down to the fact that he loves you. He don't just reward everybody just like that. There are people supposedly working for God. He don't reward everybody. So it's important that we have this relationship because Paul, even that 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15 that we read, he said, brethren, he said, therefore, my brethren, beloved brethren. So there's this premise, brethren, we have this relationship with God. And out of that, Plus his love for us. So, here in the New Living Translation, it says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? I want you to answer that question for yourself. (laughs) And I'll tell you something. But unfortunately, when we look around, we see that there's stuff that separates us. We've seen people backslide because of, God didn't do this for me, if that's the case, I'm not going to serve God again, you know. You know, we, we want, we're singing, and somebody offends, if that's the case, I'm not going to sing again, as we were singing to people, but we were singing to God. You know? We want to throw tantrum here and there, and so on. I pray about this, it doesn't come, how can God, how come, how dare you, God, not do this for me? We almost threaten God. And if that's the case, I'm not coming to, this, let me tell you something, this Corona thing, there are some people that really have grown cold. I mean, uh, uh, the something was preaching some weeks back the love of some people has grown cold because of the corona thing. Maybe, unfortunately, uh, and all my condolences, if you lost a loved one. But there are times, unfortunately, when people lose a loved one, they get angry at God. Because, you know, God, how dare, this this person was very dear to me, how dare you take, you know. So we allow that to infringe on our love for God. But like I said, we cannot afford to define God's love in terms of our circumstances. You will miss it. You will miss it. So he says, does it mean? <laughs> oh, yes. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? What's the answer? No. No. That's not what it means. But the devil wants for us to think that that is what it means. Because if I am sick, this corona, terrible corona thing, how dare corona, how dare God allow corona to touch my body? You know? All these issues and challenges and so on and so forth. So that doesn't mean God does not love us. Or uh, if we are persecuted, does it mean God doesn't love us? No. Or if we are hungry. Maybe I shouldn't be talking about hunger now we are in the church. Some people start thinking of uh, their lunch. What you're going to eat. But let's stay here for now. Don't worry, your lunch is there waiting for you. Or oh, are left. In. you feel like nobody cares. You're all by yourself. But I tell you something, you know, when it looks like nobody cares, that is even the time that God cares for you more. He loves you. He's there. He's there. Because sometimes, as a matter of fact, you know, our, our love for God, actually, we give it over to people, and, you know, it's, we, we kind of, the love that we should challenge towards God, we challenge it towards people. And when those people start uh, offending us and disappointing us, now we are all, oh, we don't have nothing left. But God is always there. He is always there. Say, so whether in danger, God's love is there. Why? Why do you need to remember, brethren? You must get what the Spirit of God is saying. Why do you need to remember that when you face calamity, you face persecution, you face hunger, you face destitution, you face uh, you know, danger, you are threatened with death. Why do you need to remember and be convinced that God loves you? Because the premise upon which and from which God does things for you is love. Hallelujah if God is going to bring you through that situation, it is love. It's from the premise of love. From the basis and foundation of his love. So you need to be convinced of it. Now, let's go on. Uh, Romans 8, 37 to 39. Romans 8, 37 to 39. I don't even have this in my eye, but this just this morning. Yet, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yet in all these things. Now, um, before we read on, let me take a pause here. And I want those of you that are in this church and if you're joining us in the Bible studies. We've been studying James chapter 1. You know, um, I was uh, discussing with one of the pastors. The issue of trials. Trials. You know. Is one of the most fundamental aspects of our Christian living. Trials. To the extent that Jesus Christ said, in the world you will have tribulation. He didn't say you may. He didn't say if you have a lot of faith, uh, you may escape tribulation. He says, in this world you will have tribulation. So it's important for you to understand this. But also understand that in the face of tribulation, that God's love is still upon us. Because it says, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded hey, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, No powers, no things present, no things to come, no height, no depth, no any other created thing, devil or demons, shall be able to separate us from the love of God. What is this emphasis of love, God's love, about? Everything God does for you is from the foundation and the basis of his love for you. And that's why it's one of the greatest convictions you can ever have, that God loves you in spite of your situation, in spite of your condition. Look, in fact, to me, it's the greatest conviction you can ever have. Everything God does, is stems from love. You know, did you notice that the Bible says God is love? That is his very nature. The Bible does not say God possesses love. God doesn't just possess love. God is love. This pulpit does not contain glass. This pulpit is glass. You hear that? This pulpit is made of glass. It doesn't just contain glass. It is glass. It's made of glass. God does not just possess love. He doesn't just possess love in his hand, or he's holding it, okay, I got it here, this, this iPad is my own, I have an iPad, it's here. But God is love. Hallelujah. <laughs> and so everything he does stems from his love for us. You know, because, you see, when you face trials and you face issues and you begin to, you know, to think, the devil begins to put thoughts in your mind that nobody cares, nobody loves. Have you ever faced that? Many people do face that. Many people have faced that. Nobody cares. No, God doesn't love me. Nobody cares for me. Nobody, nobody 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 cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. The devil wants you to sing that song. You know? Almost like Elijah, who was who because of his persecution, he came and said, "I'm the only prophet left in the whole of Israel." God said, "No, no, no, no! I've got me seven thousand, which you don't know about, because he was thinking he was the only one. Have you got gone to problems? You think you are the only one? The Bible says that problems and issues we face are being faced by all our brethren around the world. Nothing is unique to us as brethren. Now, why are we saying this? Because you see. You know, we need to understand what the Bible said. Jesus prepared us. He prepared people coming to him. He said, if anyone is going to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up the cross and follow me daily. He said, which of you wanted to build the tower? not First of all, sit down and count. If from what he has, you'll be able to finish the building. Which of you going to battle does not first of all try to assess the enemy to see how many you know soldiers the person is coming with and how many you've got and if not you begin to look for ways to, to, to uh, uh, sue for peace. In what Jesus cause are saying that what you come to him you need to know what you are getting into. <laughs> Amen. Let me tell you something. People of old, believers of old, when they came, they gave their lives to Christ. They knew what they were getting into. That's why they were prepared to die. The first persecution, they wouldn't quit. They wouldn't quit. Why? I said in the morning, we must understand and really put and place the spiritual value and the benefit of our relationship with God. The eternal value. The eternal value of our relationship with God, we must place it above the the blessings, the temporary blessings that come with serving God. Yes, God does bless us with material things, with things here on earth, but there's more to it. The eternal benefit of serving God is greater than the physical and material benefits we receive here on earth. Because if you only follow God because of the material blessings that we receive here on earth, whenever you don't get those things and those things are messed up with, then you all go into pieces. Because that is what the devil knows what, uh, what he does. The devil knew what he was doing when he said to God about Job. He said, If he touch all these things that uh, he's got, uh, he's going to curse you. He was aiming at Job's relationship. Because he knew. That was where Job's strength was, his relationship with God. He feared God. The Bible says there was nobody like him. He feared God. So the devil was aiming at that relationship. And the devil had been around for ages. So he had the experience of, I know human beings, they love things so much. You know, once I touch what they love so much, they go into pieces. So he went to God and said, hey "God, <laughs> this job that you're talking about, just give me permission. Let me touch all the stuff. Is God? He's going to curse you. Yeah." And God said, "Okay, you think so? Go ahead." What did the devil do? Had all his children killed, his cattle killed, his everything killed, everything destroyed. And the devil made sure that he left somebody to bring him the bad news. Did you notice that it's actually bad news that uh, depresses you? So Satan made sure that somebody brought the bad news. And Job rose up and blessed the name of the Lord. (laughs) Bless me the name of the Lord. (laughs) Hallelujah. The devil must have said, what? And said, okay, I'll give it another go. Okay, God, okay, you got one now. You know, I'm going for a tie break. So he went back to God and said, okay, now, okay, fine, okay, things around him, he didn't bother him, but touch him, his body, with coronavirus. <laughs> oh yes. If he feels coronavirus in his body, he's going to curse you. He's not going to worship you again. He's not going to serve you again. He's not going to come to church again to worship you. He's not going to give his offering or tithe again. Just touch him. That time you touched his material things. It didn't work. Touch him with coronavirus. Touch him. And the devil went. Or oh God said, okay, you think so? Go ahead. And the devil lost, of course, 2-0. Because Job, Job refused. He, the Bible says he maintained his integrity. The devil even tried to walk through the wife. Say, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. And that is what people do. The devil, you go through issues, and the devil tells you, curse God and die. Just give up and die. Pack up and die. That is what the devil wants. But when you understand the love of God, you know that whether in death or in life, God's love is upon you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. People that my goodness, you know, all those people that got persecuted and got killed for their... Don't you think they loved good things also? Yes. They just loved life better, eternal life, more than these things. Because the devil came to Jesus and looked at the 4 didn't he? He said to Jesus, you know, see all these things, mighty, these things around the world. If you can just bow down and worship me, I will give you all these things. Jesus Christ said, no way. That's not going to happen. The, Bible says, the word of God says, worship the Lord only. Worship the Lord only. Hallelujah. Now, li- listen listen to this one. The new, uh, go on now. In the New Living Trust, said, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Verse 38, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons. Neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Oh, my God. You know, fears of what is happening today. Fear of corona that is today. And fear of the next variant that the government will come up with. Okay. <laughs> because they keep coming up with all manner of things. Today is the new variant. It's, uh, I was talking in the morning about uh, a hurricane. Today's Hurricane Katrina, hurricane this, hurricane that, hurricane that. Thank God I haven't come up with any hurricane Yannick. <laughs> 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 All manner of things. So it's like the people don't know what is ahead. So they are afraid for what is today. And they are afraid of what is ahead. Come on, brethren. At the end of the day. We cannot do much about what is ahead, if anything at all. So we might as well just relax and cast our cares upon the Lord. Amen? Amen. Cast your cares upon the Lord. Jesus Christ said it in, in Matthew chapter 6. Let tomorrow worry about itself. Just be concerned about today. Today you are alive. Thank God. Bless God. Tomorrow, is God, the psalmist says, my times are in his hands. Another translation says, my, my future is in his hands. Hallelujah. You know, I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. When tomorrow is here, God's love is still here. God's mercy is still here. Every day we awake to his mercy. Every day we awake to his compassion. His compassions are new every morning. Hallelujah. That included today, that includes tomorrow. So we are not going to live in the fear of today and live in the fear of tomorrow. Tomorrow we have not yet seen. You know? It's often said that uh, 90% of the things people fear never actually come to pass. (laughs) Did you notice that? 90% of the things we fear never really happen to us. And yet, we allow those fears to affect us and affect our relationship with God and consequently affect our relationship with people. Did you notice that the, uh, our our relationship with God, how strong it is, affects our relationship with other people? Because when, if your relationship with God is strong, you are drawing. I think Pastor Winner was sharing also from John 15 or so, you know, We are connected to God and drawing from God. So you have enough love to give to the people. Oh, yes. He that is joined with the Lord is one with him. We are joined to God. Joined to Jesus. So we are drawing love. You remember I said to us that God doesn't just possess love. God is love. That is his very nature. So we are connected to God. We have a strong relationship with God. And drawing of this love, the God kind of love, the God kind of compassion, the God kind of mercy, the God kind of forgiveness. The Bible says of forgiving one another, even as Christ has forgiven you. Yes. Withdraw this ability, withdraw this grace as we are connected to God and receiving from God so we can give out. Why is it that, you know, oh my God, have mercy. You know, why is it that some people you can offend them, they get over it, by tomorrow they are over it. You offend another person, then three years later, they are still thinking about it. Come on, you cannot be drawing from the love of God, and the mercy of God, and the compassion of God, and you are walking around with unforgiveness for years. It just doesn't go with somebody who is drawing from God. How can you live with your husband in the house for two, three days, one week, you are not talking to each other? No, no. If you are drawing from God's love, you are connected to God and constantly receiving the nutrient of God's love. By the power of his word, by the power of his Holy Spirit. Come on, for goodness sake, there is no room for you and your wife. Or you are not talking for a week, for goodness, for days in the house. It doesn't go with the people of God. Because God's love, the God kind of love will overlook that and forgive. And this kind of love, you don't pick it on the streets. You receive this kind of love from your connection and constant fellowship with God the Father. They looked at the apostles and they said they took notice of them. They saw their boldness and they saw them. They said they they took notice of them. These guys have been with Jesus. They've been with Jesus. I mean, I cannot imagine after you spend time fellowshipping with God and praying and fellowshipping, meditating upon the word of God, the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, and then you turn around and you don't forgive your brother or sister. It just doesn't work. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, God's love is constant. The Bible says there's no shadow of turning with him. So all this persecution, everything, even when we miss it. Can I tell you something, brethren? Even when we fall into sin, God's love is still upon us. Amen. Or else we cannot be restored. He forgives. Oh, my God. No, he, God forgives us. Even It is on the basis of his love that he forgives us. Oh, my God. (laughs) You know, did you notice that if you truly love somebody, you you overlook a lot of things about them? Is that not so? Yes. How can you say you love me so much and then you can't even overlook my faults and things like that? How can you say you love me so much and you can't forgive me? The Bible says clearly that love overlooks insults. The true love of God, true love of God. God forgives us because of His love. Jesus is Lord. I said, Jesus is Lord. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Because this morning, just in the bathroom, and God was bringing the scripture for good, the emphasis of all these things is love. Everything God does is from the platform and premise of love. (laughs) If, If you are convinced of God's love, even... You will even understand his discipline. The Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he chastises. <laughs> Hallelujah. It is an attribute of his love that he even uses his initiative to hold some of our steps that we think are the best, but he knows are not. I was discussing with my brother during the week. I've said it for some time now. Some of the places I've gone to to preach, I've said it. Your faith cannot override God's will. (laughs) Your faith cannot override God's will. As a matter of fact, your faith is supposed to be based on God's will. So if you think you have so much faith that you can just begin to want to believe God just anyhow... Not going to work because God is sovereign, He is still a sovereign God. Hallelujah! You've got a child, you say to this child, You know, boy, I love you so much. You're my child, he's nine years old. Oh, I love you so much. You're oh, my wonderful. Oh, I can use my daughter. I tell them, I say, Yeah, I am a wonderful baby. Well, they are grown up now, but can you imagine when Vicky or Sarah? Was nine years old. Ah, my my wonderful Sarah. You know, my Daddy loves you. You know the, you know what you need to just ask and things like that. And then the next, day, okay, now, Daddy, okay yes Daddy, and whatever I need I ask, okay Daddy, and uh, well you, Daddy say, whatever I need, uh, yeah yeah okay. Can I have the car keys? I want to drive. <laughs> uh, is that not asking? Yeah. But will me as a father, grant it? No. But didn't I say anything okay. she ask you? Uh, but now. I have to use my prerogative. I have to use my 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 authority more as a father because I know what she doesn't know. So I will say, look, on this one, I will hold this one. Uh, amen? I'll hold this one. Oh, yes, Vicky, I love you so much. Quite okay. Yes, I did say, indeed, whatever you ask, you will receive. On this occasion, I use my prerogative to say you are not ready for this. You know? When you grow up and now, when she got to 20 years, she passed her driving test. Now she said, okay, yesterday they went to go shopping with Sarah, you know, okay. They said, we want to take care. I said, you people should work and exercise. <laughs> they said, ah, that is very cold. I said, okay, uh, right, take care. So they, they took the car, drop and went and did shopping and came back. But that's because they are now 20, 18 and 20. Both of them can drive. But not when they were 8 or 9 or 10 or 12 or 13. So sometimes we think, oh, God says whatever we ask, we desire, we ask, we receive. And we think we can just jump up and then God will just give us everything just like that. God knows that there are certain things we are not ready for. Mm -hmm. And can I tell you something? It is part of God's discipline to hold on to those things for a while. As a good parent. You think you are a good parent. Are you better than father? God is a better parent than any of us. Can never be. (laughs) Hallelujah. Brethren, see, I I, I took this deviation in obedience to the Lord because, you know, God wants us to be convinced of His love. Seriously speaking. If ever the devil gets to deceiving you that God doesn't love you, he begins to bring discouragement, despair, and everything. But even if nobody else around seems to care, I want you to know that God loves you because that is the word of God. Hallelujah.